You know, this week I was thinking about one of the questions. I don't know if it's the the number one, but it's got to be in the top two or three. That as a pastor, I have been asked the most through the years. And even, uh, even as a child with aging parents and aging relatives, and that's this, what is my purpose in life? Why, why has God left me here? And if you notice in your life, or you have kids, or you have grandkids, as they begin to progress, and they, the time they get to, to middle school, and then high school, and then in college, that is certainly a predominant question on our mind, is, is what does God want me to do with my life? What is my purpose for being here? And if you were to go to the nursing home today, or you were to talk to senior adults, I remember talking to my mother when she was in her 80s, and, and my dad was dead, and all her family's dying, and you know, why has God left me here? Well, I want to tell you something this morning. God has left you here for a reason. God has a purpose for your life. We're going to discover, he may have more than one for sure, but I'm going to, we're going to see something great this morning. We're going to, we want to begin with this. The Christian has a special life calling. Life calling, here's what that means. It means this is good this morning. It means it's good next week. It means it's good if you live to be 150 and you're in the nursing home and you're asking people, why has God left me here? This is one of the reasons you are here on earth. We're in 2 Corinthians 5. We're ending our series today on your calling. And we're going to hopefully put the uh, chocolate syrup on the bluebell today as we wrap this up. But it, it begins in verse 17. The calling begins with who you are. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Listen, before you can have Christ's special calling on your life, you have to give your life to Jesus Christ. You have to belong to Jesus Christ. The problem with some of you this morning, maybe in this room or watching on the internet, is that you, you maybe, maybe you're not religious at all. I mean, you don't care anything about God at all. That's a problem. And you need Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's the foundation of everything else. And, and maybe you're religious and you're good. Listen, Paul, God through Paul speaking to church people in this letter here, and he's challenging them. You need to be a new creation. It's, it, it's interesting. It says, if anyone's in Christ, they are a new creation. That word new means a new quality of life. It, it doesn't mean you, you just simply got baptized or got sprinkled. Those are great. You join a church. That's, that's wonderful. You teach a class. You're a preacher, whatever. That's great. It means that when you became a Christian, you became a new person, that God did a work in your life that changed you and that changes you forever. That's the foundation for everything else. And I want to tell you, that is a miracle. How many of you want a miracle in your life? I do. I'd like to take that pill today and tomorrow wake up and 50 pounds disappear. Wouldn't that be awesome? I want that. You don't raise your hand because you might be embarrassed to raise your hand on that. I saw a a medical miracle. I want to read to you this. I saw this article. Medical procedure grows new ear from forearm. How many of you would read that if you saw that title? Look at that. That is an ear on that forearm. Can you imagine someone walks up to you? Hey, what's on your arm? Oh, it's an ear. Uh, what? <laughs> an ear. A lady, an army sergeant, excuse me, a private, was in a car wreck, bad car wreck, and she lost her left ear. They gave her a fake ear, but she didn't think it looked good. So the, the plastic surgeons at the army medical hospital there decided to grow her a new ear. It's a procedure called a prelaminated forearm-free flap. Have any of you had this done? 
I'm a doctor. I've done this on, I did this on Merrick a few years ago. It's designed to reduce scarring and promote more blood flow. But here's what they do. They, they harvested cartilage from her ribs, formed it like an ear, put it in her forearm. It grows. And when it's ready, they remove it and put it on. Is that, how many of you agree that's a medical miracle? I mean, where'd you get your ear? Well, I got mine from God. Well, I got mine from my forearm. I mean, that's pretty cool, isn't it? That's, that's a pretty neat thing. But I want to tell you, a greater miracle than a, a, a ear growing in your forearm is, is becoming a new person. Is that not amazing to think you could come here this morning far from God, not, not even interested in God, but God got a hold to your heart this morning, and you leave here a brand new person spiritually, changed for eternity. Is that not a great? So that's where it starts. That's, some of us are missing that. And when you miss that, you can't move on to the next thing. You've got to have a new life, and then God gives you a new mission. Look in verse 18. This is for everybody who follows Christ. All of this is from God, all this new life, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, here's your purpose. Listen, as a Christian, you have a ministry. You have a ministry. Well, I don't want a ministry. You've got a ministry. So I hear people, I want a ministry. I want a ministry. Here's a ministry. God says, this is for you. A ministry means serviceable labor. This is what I want you to be about, okay? No choice, no option. This is just not a suggestion. And reconciliation means bringing disagreeing parties together. Now, reconciliation can happen between a mad husband and a mad wife. It can happen between mad Republicans and mad Democrats, although I don't think that will ever happen again. It racial reconciliation. We use that word in a lot of good ways. Here it's talking about spiritually. Being when you got saved, you got reconciled with God. You got made right with God. And God says, Listen, if you're a Christian, I'm giving you the serviceable labor, the ministry, the charge. I want you to spend your life helping people be reconciled to God. And look in verse 19. He continues. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. And he entrusted, he committed to you and me the message of reconciliation. The message means the intelligent speech. It means you're you're God's spokesman. God says, listen, you go, what am I here for? I'm 18. I don't know my purpose. I'm 25. Some of you are 45 and 50. And you make a lot of money, but you're not happy. You're not fulfilled. Do you belong to Christ? And number two, are you fulfilling your purpose? God says, I have put in your mouth. I'm trusting you with the message of bringing other people to Christ. And in verse 20, we are his ambassadors. God is, as if God's making his appeal, we implore you to be reconciled to God. We're going to look at that ambassador more in just a second. But here's what God's saying to you. You come to me, you give your life to me, greatest thing you can do, foundation of everything else, and then I am giving you a ministry. You may be a doctor, lawyer, Indian chief, you may do a thousand other things, but here's a ministry. Your job is to be a personal evangelist, a soul winner to help other people come to Jesus Christ. I want to share with you a quote. One of my great professors in graduate school explained what is evangelism. He said it is the compassionate, I love that, sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit to lost people, people who don't know Christ, with the intention of winning them to Jesus as Lord and Savior so that they in turn might share Jesus with other people. Listen, 
personal evangelism, bringing other people to Christ. I said this about three weeks ago. It's not a gift for the special anointed. You go, why? It's not my gift. That's not my thing. No, 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 no. It's the ministry God lays in everybody's life. I'll argue with you after church about that all you want. But that's the truth. That's what the Bible says. It's, it's, it's your ministry. Again, some of you are going, I don't know what to do with my life. Here's a great story from Cambridge, Massachusetts. Cambridge is where Harvard University is. Harvard is an upper elite school. There was a young man named Peter who had just graduated with his master's degree, devout Christian, very involved in his church. Well, he didn't see his college minister for a few months. And then his college minister goes into McDonald's one day there in Cambridge. And Peter, who has a master's degree from uh, Harvard, is working at McDonald's. And and the the college minister is surprised. He goes, man, I can't believe, what are you doing working here? You know, aren't you supposed to be out splitting atoms somewhere or making boogoos of money in Silicon Valley? And and here's what he said. He goes, well, (laughs) I don't have a job right now, and this helps me financially. You know, here's a tip. Working and money do go together. Amen. Those are good things. They really are. And so he was saying, I need money, so I'm going to go to work. But he goes, I'm a missionary right here at McDonald's. How many of you thought you're a missionary at Tech or at Grambling or, or Cedar Creek or, or Ruston High School? At people at the nursing home, evangelists? You're an evangelist. And the guy said, listen, I see people every day in here, especially up there in the Boston area, in in Ruston, from all over the world. And I get a chance to tell people about Jesus. I'm not wasting my life. I'm making money, and I'm a a missionary here at McDonald's. Listen, I'm going to share with you a great quote. People lose their way when they lose their why. Some of you don't know where you're going. You don't know why God's put you here. You've lost your purpose. You lose your way when you lose your why. Here's one of your whys. It's not the only why, but I'm going to tell you, you can skirt around this, but all I'm doing is plagiarizing from the Bible. This is God's call in your life. One of the whys that you're here is to know Christ, number one, and then bring as many people to him as you can. Now, let me give you some really good news. Jesus has already done the heavy lifting here. Jesus has already done the heavy lifting. What do I mean by that? You don't have to go die for anybody's sins. Can you say amen? You may want to crucify somebody, (laughs) but you don't have to be crucified for anybody. Isn't that good? How many of you like showing up after all the hard work's done? And it's an accident, isn't it? You just didn't know. You thought they were starting at noon, not at 11 on the project, right? We call those calluses. You know, they show up after the work is done. Jesus has done the hard work. All we got to do is live it and be his mouth. Let's look at the end of verse 18. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled himself. Verse 19, that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not holding their sins against them. And then again, verse 21, one of the great verses in the Bible, for our sake, he made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Here's the cool thing. God decided about salvation long before you were around. The word predestination means God drew up the boundaries beforehand and said, here's how salvation is going to happen. It's going to happen in Jesus. God, the father, God, the son decided Jesus was going to come to earth going to be born of a virgin, born in a barn. You know that story? We're going to talk about it in about a month. 
lived on this earth 100% man, 100% God. You will never figure that out. Don't even try. You can't do that. But he was just as much man as he was God. If you pinched him and hurt, could he sin? Absolutely. Did he sin? Never. And then he went to the cross and he died for your sins and my sins. I don't want to die for my sins, much less somebody else's. He died for our sins. But then he did the coolest, unbelievable thing. He walked out of the grave. You know what? You could be killed for somebody's sins, but you ain't coming back three days later. Can I hear an amen? You are not coming back. And Jesus walked out of the tomb to make salvation possible. Then he goes back to heaven, and then the Holy Spirit comes. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit's job is to convict people. I can't convict you. I can make you mad. I can't convict you. The Holy Spirit convicts. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit is the one that will draw you to Jesus. By the way, our job is to lift Jesus up. And we lift Jesus up. And the Bible says he'll draw all men to himself. We, we lift Jesus up. Look, we're just the spokesman. And when we lift Jesus up, the Holy Spirit draws people. And then he saves them. See, our job is easy in comparisons. Would you agree with that? You don't have to die for anybody. You don't have to walk out of the grave for anybody. You're called to be the mouthpiece the hands and the feet and the mouth of Jesus Christ. So here's my big challenge for you and me this morning. Let's spend our lives urgently and passionately winning other people to Jesus Christ. You're not a Christian, man. You need to give your life to Christ today. I'm going to play the, the, the pleader to you. You need to give your life to Christ this morning. If you're a Christian and you're, if you have any seriousness in your life at all about God, please pay attention to what we're talking about. This is, this is one of your huge whys. This is one of the reasons that you will be on this earth until God takes you home. I didn't watch the video, but I I read about it. It was a video clip from a guy. I think he was an atheist. And he was kind of being sarcastic. And he said, if God is all-powerful and God's all-knowing and all this, why in the world does God have to use you and me to do anything? let Let me tell you why. That's how God chose to do it. Did you know if God decides we're all going to be purple in heaven, you know what color you're going to be in heaven? You're going to be purple, right? If you're an LSU fan, that's a good thing. Why did God choose to use people? I have no idea. Ask him that when you get there. I do not have an explanation. All I'm telling you is that he did. He chose to use us. Before I've had people, some in a nice way, some in a not very nice way, after a sermon like this, come up to me and say, Chris, we don't win anybody to Jesus. That's just God's job. Well, Kinda, stay with me. Do you believe the Bible is more important than your understanding of theology? I hope so. First Corinthians nine nineteen. Listen to what it says. For though I am free from all, I make myself a slave to everyone that I might win more of them. If you're taking notes in in verse nine, excuse me, nineteen through twenty two, those few verses six times. God through Paul says, I do everything I can to win people to Jesus Christ. So yes, you are called to be a soul winner. You're called to try to bring people to Jesus Christ. You should spend your life doing that. Let's look at these verses one more time. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation, the serviceable labor. Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. The world means some total of individuals. Folks, everywhere you go, at work, at home, at school, on your athletic team, in the church, every person you see is part of your mission field. 
God says, I'm trying to reconcile the world to myself. That means everybody and anybody. And verse 20 is a great verse. We are his ambassadors as God is making his appeal through us. About three weeks ago, I explained ambassadors, but many of you slept during that sermon, so I'm going to refresh your mind. A United States ambassador is a top official. It's really a a great honor to be an ambassador. The president of the United States has to nominate you, and then the Senate, that's the group of 100, has to confirm you. You serve a three-year term normally, and you represent America to a foreign land. Let's say you go to France. You're not a France, a French citizen. France citizen. You are a citizen of America. You you are representing our president and our country uh, to that country. And Paul's day, an ambassador was a huge thing. They were top officials too. The Roman world and, and Rome ruled the world of Jesus and Paul. And their day, they divided the world into two types of provinces. One were called senatorial provinces. They were, they were peaceful places that the Roman Senate oversaw. And then there was the imperial provinces. And the imperial provinces were ran by and controlled by the emperor, the king himself. They were hostile to the Roman people. And so the emperor had to keep his thumb on that. He sent soldiers there. And he would send ambassadors. And the ambassador's job was to try to, to, to work with those people to bring them peacefully into the Roman family. Listen, you're a Christian. Philippians 3.20, you know what it says? It says, heaven is your home. How many of you ever, you go like, man, the world's weird. You ever feel that way? If you're a Christian, that's normal. Heaven is where is where your citizenship is. God's left you here. Got one of the primary whys you are here is to help as many other people as you can come to Jesus Christ. To bring God and men together. Let's look at verse 20 one more time. I want you to see the one word he uses is so powerful. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Just leave that verse there if you would. An ambassador for the United States or probably for the Roman Empire is a sophisticated, intelligent, well-dressed, probably politically connected person. They don't beg for anything. But God says if you're an ambassador for the king of kings, the, the, what, the stakes are so high in what you're dealing with that you ought to be willing. That word implore means to beg or to ask insistently for someone to come to Jesus Christ. Hey, do you, do you really, the question is, do you really believe the Bible? Do, do you believe Jesus is the only way? If, if, if everybody's going to be saved, I wouldn't beg I wouldn't mess with it. Why send missionaries? If it's all figured out anyway, one way or the other. But if you believe people are lost without Jesus and he is the only way and that heaven's real and so is hell, and if you got a heaven, you got an opposite place too, God himself, Paul, who had two PhDs, says we should beg people to give their life to Jesus Christ. I want to share with you a quote from a Dr. Bob Utley, who is a Bible professor at East Texas Baptist University. This is convicting. A lost world, a world that does not know Jesus Christ, is not on the doorsteps of a powerless and loveless God. Sadly, it is often on the doorstep of an apathetic unconcerned church and apathetic and unconcerned Christians. Wow. See, the problem is not God. 
The problem is not God's desire to save people and to love people and to reach people. The problem is the churches. The problem is the pastors. The problem is the church members. We'll argue over a stinking lawnmower, spending too much money on a light. I've never seen in 30-something years of a pastor somebody come down and cry because they knew people were going to hell. But God through Paul says, listen, your why, one of your huge whys is to spend your life pleading with people if you really believe the Bible, pleading with them to come to Jesus Christ. Some of you, I know what you're saying. I'm, oh, I ain't begging anybody to do anything. Okay, that's cool. I'm going to go with God over you, and I, I love you. You remember Ronald Reagan? You know, recognize that name? You know what Ronald Reagan did? I mean, I'm talking about some guy like in Monroe or something. There might be a Ronald Reagan there. This was the president, Ronald Reagan. How many of you say amen if you know who he was? Okay, not very many of you. We're going to do a civics lesson. Next week's sermon is on the presidents of the United States. Just kidding. 1982, Ronald Reagan wrote a letter to his father-in-law, who was a neurosurgeon, Dr. Loyal Davis. Dr. Davis was either an agnostic or an atheist. He didn't believe Jesus was divine, didn't believe in heaven and hell, the virgin birth. This is not in Ronald Reagan's library in California or in his public records. In fact, this was found in a card box of Nancy Reagan's personal effects. This is really cool. You can go online. I don't have time to read the whole thing. But Reagan's father-in-law, 1982, Reagan had been in office about two years. His father-in-law's dying. Ronald Reagan knows his father-in-law's not a Christian. And he writes him this letter, and again, I'll just touch on it. Part, he, he, he uses Old Testament scriptures. He uses apologetic methods to kind of debate him, bring him to Jesus. But here's part of it. He says, listen, we've been promised that all we have to do is ask God in Jesus' name to help us and to save us. And when we've done all we can, when we've come to the end of our strength and our abilities, God will help us. All we have to do is trust in Jesus and have faith in his infinite goodness and mercy. And he ended the letter with John 3, 16, excuse me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, <coughs> but have everlasting life. And he signed it, love, Ronnie. So <coughs> think about this with me. <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> you needed a break. You're the president. You're pretty busy. Pretty sophisticated. Excuse me. <coughs> Throw something at me when I wasn't looking. I'm good. Somebody may have spiked that. That may be my problem. <coughs> Thank you. I'm not crying, I promise. You know, if you watched football yesterday, you had reasons to cry. <coughs> so you're, you're the president. You're, you know, you're too cool, too sophisticated. Reagan didn't think so. <clears throat> you're a doctor. You're a lawyer. You come in contact all the time with people who need Jesus. You're a teacher, a coach. My goodness. <coughs> God lays young people in your hands. <coughs> He's going to hold you accountable how what you've done with them. You're a business person. <laughs> your big deal is not to make money. Ultimately, it's to help other people and help them come to Christ. Your stay-home mom, my goodness, the influence you can have. 
You're, you're a work at tech. You work at Grambling. You own a business. Man, listen. God's calling you to use your influence. Calling you to use your mouth. To help as many people as you can come to Jesus Christ. For some people, the only person that's standing between them and hell is you. If you don't really buy into what I'm telling you, I want you to see Penn Gillette, who's a magician in Las Vegas, an atheist. Listen to what he says about Christians and their need to evangelize. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And um, he had been the, um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we give those away. He had the the joke book and the and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props in the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show, and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language and... Um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And... Uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice insane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, 
How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, so that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on, and then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. Kind of stunning hearing an atheist say, if you really believe that stuff is true, why wouldn't you do everything you could to help people find Christ? Let's pray. If you're a Christian, I'll talk to you more in just a second. But I pray that God's working on your heart about the direction of your life from this point on. If you're not a Christian, or you're unsure you belong to Jesus, and you're ready to give your life to Christ, pray with me now. And just say, Jesus, I need you.